Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast, the podcast for games on all platforms, including your Constellation brand wristwatch. I am Daniel Winter. And this is Mark Uasa. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm recovering. Yeah, some people might be wondering why this episode is so delayed and <laughs> because there's been about a sickness all around. Most recently, I had a bout of COVID, so I was knocked on my butt for for a few days at very least. So, sorry to hear, but here, here I was ready to blame it all on time dilation traveling between various star systems. No, nothing <laughs> quite so exotic, just the run of the mill coronavirus. Yeah, a lot of that going around right now, unfortunately. Uh, I, I did come back myself from a little mini family vacation, not to uh, to, to, to compare those, those two uh, situations. But uh, yeah, coming in a little late with this episode, but that's given us all the more time to to focus on our featured games episode, which is a big one. We are talking about Starfield, or will we'll be later in the episode at least, but we've got some other games to discuss in the meantime. Yeah, why don't we uh, get talking about those then? Yeah, is, is there any news you want to talk, talk about lately? People know I'm into tabletop RPGs these days. You know, there's a bunch of different platforms called virtual tabletops, examples being Foundry uh, VTT, which is like a, a desktop tool you can host yourself, or this one called Roll20, which is always cloud-based. Uh, I won't say which one is, is the best or this or that, because <laughs> I'm trying them out, but... Roll20 just announced that they have acquired a, a tool called Dungeon Scrawl. So dungeonscrawl.com, you can go check it out yourself. It's a free-to-use tool for designing your own dungeon maps. So oh, uh, basically, you can choose from these presets. It, there's these handy-dandy tools, and if you're comfortable with shape tools, circular tools, rectangular tools, line tools from you know Adobe Illustrator or even simpler Paints. programs than that... <laughs> then you could probably scrawl yourself out pretty much exactly what you can imagine in your head okay. uh, to a decent degree. And they look pretty, pretty darn solid. Has it got like different tile sets for like fantasy versus sci-fi settings and things like that? Yeah, that's right. Uh, most of them are, I think are black and white, but that's totally fine. Uh, Gives it a nice kind of retro appeal, but you can choose things. You can actually, you can turn the dials on the roughness of the line drawing uh, of the shapes. Oh, so. Nice. For instance, you can draw a cave with just a circle tool or a rectangle tool. Just really turn up the roughness quality, and it'll create irregularity along the, oh. the, the walls of the oh. shape. So very, very clever tool. And uh, I've only really scratched the surface of it. But if anyone's curious about whipping up something quick, you could almost do it in real time, like right in front of your your people that you're playing along with. So... Um, well worth checking out, and uh, I think it's free to use to start. And because it's uh, acquired by Roll20, it integrates well with that tool. So go check it out. Yeah, I'm not really familiar with any of those platforms. Roll20 definitely seems to be the biggest one, or at least the one that I, I hear about the most often. Yeah, Roll20 and Foundry are the ones that uh, I hear bandied about a lot. I've tried both. They're really powerful tools out there right now. So you know, well worth spending a little bit of time if you're curious. Yeah, excellent. Uh, we, we, as we might discuss later, we have been digging into some some TTRPG, so maybe we'll get to experiment with that down the road. That's right. Any news on your part, Daniel? Yeah, well, not so much news, but a hot topic that I wanted to discuss. I mean, not not quite so hot, it's a little lukewarm now, uh, following <laughs> our delays in recording, but this is going to be an ongoing issue in the hobby. That is 
this ongoing concern around AI art, or art for lack of a better term, I should say. So a couple of weeks ago, there was a campaign for new terraforming Mars expansions. Uh, new a, a new uh, prelude expansion, I think it was, and some some new company stuff, and a solo Ultima uh, expansion. Unfortunately, that wasn't the only uh, Ultima that was in the game because it was uh, someone digging through the the fine prints noticed that they revealed they'd used some AI art in creating it. And that that's led to a, a huge, a, a big discussion back and forth with both the heads of Stronghold Games and and Frexelius Games, uh, making statements that didn't really clear it up uh, that they have any respect for artists going forward. They they basically said that it, it saves them time, and that's about all there is to it. I'm sure it makes them some money too, which of which it pulled in plenty. So that's that's been a. a but it's been a concern of mine in, is this rising use of machine learning that's starting to sneak into the hobby. I wasn't sure if you had any any thoughts on that. I would say that I'm developing my thoughts. I am mostly on the fence, but I guess I, I li- I'm a little bit more sensitive on the side of the artwork because, um, you know, like I, I did go to art school at some point. I had intentions of becoming an artist, a photographer, but still, you know, I grew up drawing, drawing pictures and I know how wonderful of a passion that is. And, and I know that, you know, many people in my life draw for a living or have drawn or designed. So uh, I certainly have a great deal of respect for them. For now, I won't, you know, I won't invest in any product that does have AI generated art, mostly for the fact that it does have that creepy uncanny valley quality to it (laughs) just yet. Um, You know, it has a certain look put through a blender look, if you know what I mean. Everything's just a little bit too shiny. And I don't love that, you know, I like artists that have very unique, maybe rough qualities to them. So for now, the the, the websites I look at, like um, Drive-Thru RPGs is, is one that I frequent. They will at least flag the, the work as, you know, AI art included or no AI art included. So that's nice to see. And I will, you know, at this point, only support products that have no AI art, mostly because I, I, want, it, I want to think about it more and i want us to see if there's a you know a truly equitable answer i i won't say never but i'm waiting to see where it goes (laughs) yeah i'm I'm admittedly a little biased with my wife and a lot of my friends being artists and i i think it's important this is still very much a growing trend and i I think it's important to sort of make our, our stance clear before it's gets too ingrained into the hobby and i mean it's very easy to criticize the hands or the compositing right now it's very things are very clearly made uh with the machine but it is getting better and it will become gradually harder to spot but apart from the the just the outright quality of of the artwork i think i make a much more principled stance into in just in in principle I think it goes against uh, the 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 act of making art, of saying something, of having a, a conversation with with both the audience and other artists. I mean, there, there's been a few good discussions. Uh, Kyle Ferron I put out a very good one. Rodney Smith put out a, put out a video uh, discussing it. Uh, so plenty plenty of food for thought out there. Like I said I'm not an artist myself, so I, I can't go too much into the philosophy of it all. But I'll be taking a stand that I, I will not support. 
any projects that use it. I we, we've spoken about terraforming Mars previously on this on this podcast. I've spoken highly of uh, Ares Expedition, which I think is one of the few games that that didn't that actually outsourced outside of the Frexelius family. Uh, but I I will be selling that on. I, I won't be keeping it in my collection. Suffice to say. Yeah, exactly. No copying, no plagiarism. No one wants to see that. I certainly don't. As as we're recording today, uh, literally, there's just been uh, someone has revealed that that Essence Spiel, the upcoming convention, is has used AI artwork in some of its marketing, uh, like a, a convention that would like wouldn't be here if it wasn't for all of the talented artists that were in the industry. Uh, so that's very d- disappointing to see. All right, I'm going to talk about my next uh, bit of news here. Just a quick one. There is a official tabletop role-playing game coming from a long-running series of video games. And in this case, it's for Final Fantasy XIV from, from Square Enix, of course. Uh, most people will be aware that XIV is the huge hit, massively multiplayer uh, online game that's a hit around the world with a lot of people, some People have say it's taken over the mantle of World of Warcraft as like <laughs> the MMO to play. I won't say one way or another if that's the case or not. So suffice to say that this announcement has come that they're coming out with a starter set of the Final Fantasy XIV based uh, role playing game, and it looks kind of cool. I was struck that uh, it looks a little bit kind of like a board game with like cardboard standees for the characters and the monsters, you know, square grids for combat. You know, it kind of looks like uh, closer to like a like a Gloomhaven than it does okay, to so like so a D and D red box. Yeah, most likely it will. And of course, you know, these are the this is the publisher that came out with games like Final Fantasy Tactics, <laughs> and of course, um, Tactics Ogre and things like that from the Enix side. So, I don't doubt that there's some talented people on there. Does Square have much of a history of of like tabletop products? Though I don't know specifically they. If they do, but uh, Japan in general has a very strong tabletop RPG market, uh, one that's largely been ignored by the West, mostly because they have a totally different philosophy. Some stuff is some Western RPGs are popular there, but some Japanese RPGs never make it over here. It's just starting to change right now, so it'll be interesting to see one with such a big license behind it. You know, maybe it'll maybe it'll blow things wide open or maybe it'll be a total dud. Who knows? You know, licensed products, you could never tell. Yeah, I'm a little surprised to see them attach it specifically to 14 rather than just a, a broader Final Fantasy branding. Obviously, 14 does have a bit of sort of meta commentary within it. Like in the, the MMO, there are a lot of references to other final fantasy games it's like a bit of a metaverse going on there i don't know the exact story but uh there's certainly opportunities for crossovers within that but it's, it's a very specific uh setting uh, to, to put it in the mmo but obviously still a huge amount of content and, and options that they can explore within that this have a relatively recent relatively new and i'm talking about within the last few years here uh, ccg in the Final Fantasy universe, and that one does cross over across all the titles. So I, I think that's smart in a in a game that's you know more about you know bringing in unique items, unique characters into interesting scenarios, pitting this this item and this equipment and this character from across the series and ramming them together into a custom <laughs> deck. Like that just sort of fits perfectly. But for a tabletop role playing game, I think like cohesiveness 
is mm. is the rule there. A consistent world to set it in. Yeah, that's right. And of course, you can always have some sort of, you know, planes walking, if you want to call it that, you know, you got <laughs> characters from 14 jumping over to 10 or 12 or 13 or whatever, you know, that's, that's possible down the road. But I think setting it in a defined world, especially one that has so much written about it, so much game time, you know, devoted to it with all of the various MMO expansions, it's kind of a no brainer. I think it's the right choice. Yeah, no, I'm definitely uh, interested to hear more about that. I've played a little bit of the MMO, but only I've, I've basically completed the base game. But there's a lot of expansions, and I've heard they only get better. There's a big focus on story in the and characters in those games that I think I think uh, fit quite well. But speaking of planeswalkers, I think I think Final Fantasy is actually coming to Magic: The Gathering next year at some point. No doubt, that's the continuation of Wizards of the Coast selling out in a literal way to to all the fandoms. Yes, yeah, I mean, I, again, I can't critique that too much, having gone all in on the Lord of the Rings, but uh, I, I'm calling it there for now. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you know, magic will always have its fans. Yeah, uh, and as will Final Fantasy, uh, the, the, uh, another f- final once again. Yeah. Uh, one other small Never bit of news I wanted to quickly mention was that Yokohama, a game that we've discussed in the past, uh, is getting a reprint. So this was has been unavailable for a few years, originally from Tasty Minstrel Games. And is uh, getting a reprint from Synapse Games, I think it was, sometime next year. Straight to retail, too. So I'm excited for more people to, to be able to try that game. Uh, a little... I don't love the, 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 the design. At least the, the, the box cover design does have a little bit of a, a wonton font going on there. Sort of fakey Japanese scripts in English. Uh, but other, other than that, I, I, I'm excited. Again, we, we really like that game. We've go back and listen to our, to our episode to hear more on why we love it. But you will now have a chance to try it yourself. I'm glad to hear that there's a reprint. I haven't seen this artwork myself, so I'll uh, reserve judgment on whether <laughs> where, whether it passes the sniff test. Guys, I saw an interesting discussion on the on BGG about. I, I think it was they're also reprinting the roll on right and jewel and jewel has like two samurai on the front and this specifically being in a time period where the samurai sort of customs were outlawed apparently so that would just not be present yeah that's really odd yokohama literally takes place in the age of like steam engines and, <laughs> and printing presses and, and trolley cars so uh, yokohama being one of the most westernized cities in japan even at that time yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I'd be curious to hear your thought when you when you have a, a time to, to take a closer look at that, perhaps. Yeah, I'll check it out. Excellent. Well, from the future to the present, what have you been playing lately? Yeah, to be honest, I haven't been playing quite a lot in terms of games. I've been playing some older games, mostly with the family, and and um, because I've been you know stuck at home, sick, and things like that. So uh, uh, mostly been playing Starfield, but I played a <laughs> tiny bit of Tiny Tina's Tiny Tina's Wonderlands with my kid. My oldest likes Tiny Tina's a bit. I bought it kind of specifically with them in mind because I wanted to share that sort of action RPG thing with them in a sort of, uh, you know, kooky world. And and Tiny Tina's Wonderland is a great kind of entry point because it's way 
more, you know, frivolous and goofy <laughs> than it is kind of like Borderlands officially like kind of tacky and over the top, uh, you know, with splatting Very edgy brains. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Faux, faux edgy, you know, like <laughs> Tiny Tina's is a lot more kind of cutesy. And, and so uh, we like to play that too. sometimes. You don't, have to be, you don't have to experience the previous games and all these other characters. There's, there's certainly plenty of references there, but it's a good standalone entry point. Yeah. Subtle nods. It's, it's, it's like a, just a fantasy romp anyways. And it's got some nice D and D slash TTRPG nods as well. And, and there, my oldest is a fan of D and D. So that, that's always good for uh, a smile as well. So uh, yeah, that's always uh, fun, especially to play co-op. Excellent. Yeah. I, I played a little bit of that, just what I can get through having borrowed it from the library and then had a blast, but I, I don't know that I, I, it was quite, I don't think it mixed things up quite enough to really pull me in completely and i was also just missing some of the the classic borderlands characters i do i do i i am sympathetic to tiny tina (laughs) i'm not i'm not a tina hater like many out there but uh i i was missing some of my other my other favorite characters uh with a bunch of randos in in that one yeah if you look at it as a borderlands game you'll you'll obviously see a lot lacking but it's not a mainland borderlands game it's a it's a spin-off so and and I like Tiny Tina. I think she's delightful, especially in some of her more tender moments, which mm. she has even in some of the other games as well. If you listen to some of the audio logs, there's some dimension to that. What you could say is a is a really one dimensional character, <laughs> and does a, a, some interesting work with like there's an overworld in that game. I think there was so the just the actual structure of the game it, it shakes up a little bit. Yeah, there's definitely some low spots in that game that I've noticed. Like I, I like generally enjoy playing it still, and I, that's why I'm still playing it. But you know, we'll talk about this general subject. But you know, procedural generation. Mm. There's a lot of procedurally generated content in this game. Oh, really? There's these sort of map types oh, like where dungeons you... and like randomly generated dungeons i think yeah yeah right. randomly generated dungeons and sort of these like what would you call them like um survival Cha- yeah wave scenarios wave challenges. Yeah. yeah wave-based challenges there's a lot of that in this game and and it it's it gets repetitive and tiresome and and that would probably be my you know biggest gripe about that game is that there are some mainline missions that say you have to complete these three wave, um, mm. wave-based uh, challenges, and you know that that's not optional at that point. You have to go through it. So, yeah, you know. the, 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 a lot of games have that as a mode, but that's generally completely optional and sort of siloed for the game to force you through that. I mean, that's, that's generally not my favorite way of playing these games. Yeah, thankfully, unless you've got a, a full group, perhaps maybe it's a bit more interesting. But yeah, yeah, with a full group that the Borderlands series has always been good about ratcheting up the tension with the procedural um, adaptation of the, you know, it really ramps up the intensity and even with two is way more intense than with a single player. So yeah, like yeah, take it for what you will. Uh, it was not my favorite, but thankfully it's a very small portion of the mainline game and the optional levels you can procedural levels you can avoid. Excellent. Okay. Well, I, I, I too was ready to come into this episode having played nothing but Starfield. It's the first game in a while that I, I've not been distracted by other games. My attention span generally this year has been really shot in terms of just bouncing between a new game every half an hour. But Starfield I played a lot of. Uh, not to not as a statement of, of 
quality necessarily. We'll get to that. But considering the delay, I was able to get to one other game uh, that just hit Game Pass. Let's throw a coin in the jar. But tell me if you've heard this one before. It's a, a Victorian sort of gothic city. Its inhabitants have been wiped out by a a, a plague. Uh, there's the, the few remaining inhabitants all speak very cryptically and have weird laughs for some reason and you're you're collecting souls like currency from all the enemies as you as you work through this but enough about bloodborne this is a a new game called lies of p so this fits all of those everything i just described it fits this game as well as bloodborne except you just happen to be playing a little a little uh champ called Pinocchio, the, the, the titular Pinocchio from from the the fairy tale. He is a, a puppet in this game, although puppet is used basically as uh, basically robots, which is a bit of an on the nose analogy, but it actually works remarkably well in terms of exploring those themes of humanity and 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 free will and and like the, the puppets have sort of a code of laws embedded within them. One of which of course is you cannot lie. And, uh, and the game loves playing, playing with that a little, a little, a little bit much. Sometimes it's, it's very proud of itself when, when Pinocchio does tell a lie and just, just like big red letters on the, on the screen, you lied. <laughs> but other than that, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very competent one of those games. If you're a fan of souls likes, it's, it's not really shaking up the, the formula too much at least at the beginning it's, it's a very it's following that formula very closely more along the lines of say bloodborne and or uh, sekiro in terms of how it, it has more focus on the sort of parry deflect system rather than blocking the setting works pretty well i think uh the performance is is is, is, very, is very nice the the combat feels great the it, it does start to layer on some more sort of customization options like there's a skill tree there's uh you can so mix and match your weapons the weapons sort of come apart and you can, you can mix and match those so that seems to be how it's differentiating itself is the sort of degrees of uh customization you had in, in making a build uh, so still still relatively early in that, but but really enjoying it so far. I've heard good things about Liza P. Uh, the people um, on what was it Besties were talking pretty favorably uh, favorably about it. So I'm certainly interested in trying that out. Yeah, it, it's it, it can be quite tricky. There's a, it's a couple of systems that doesn't explain very well. Uh, so, so some of the fights at least are quite tricky. Others. Like a lot, the, the hardest fights I've found are actually optional sort of side bosses. The main bosses like actually gives you quite a few things to to counter. Like the you can summon in NPCs to help you that make the make it a lot easier, and, it, and that's pretty easy to do uh, relative to some of the other sort of summoning rituals you had to go through in, in say Dark Souls. Uh, so if you if you want a, an easy mode, for lack of a better term, that is there at least for the the main boss fights. Very cool. I don't mind a little cheesing. Uh, in no, a, no in shame a, whatsoever. No hard game. <laughs> I, 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 got to, I got. I haven't got the time to to throw myself against this a hundred times. <laughs> Good, cool. Speaking about my one kid, the the next game I'm talking about, I played with my other kid, my younger one. They were asking to play a game and mentioned some games on the shelf. They said mentioned um, Carcassonne, and 
strangely enough, you know, we played Carcassonne pretty intensely. Like my wife and I played a bunch. I feel like I played Carcassonne with at least, at least the older one uh, a while back, but I guess I never really had pulled it out with the younger ones. So we pulled it out, played like half a game and it was absolutely delightful. You know, I, I did the technique I tried before <laughs> when introducing it to new players is do everything except for the, the farmers in the fields. Hmm. Right, because the farmers yeah, in the even field, I still struggle with that. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, it, it's tricky, and you can actually even if you everyone knows the rules, sometimes you can forget it because you just didn't quite see that that it's patch not of the land. most intuitive. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, and it's the one that has the most kind of long term considerations to it, which can trip uh, especially novice players up. So typically, when I teach people, I just say everything but that. And, and we just played the base game and we played half a game and it just kind of flowed, you know, like that's a classic design for a reason because it just, it just sort of works. So I was delighted to be able to pull that out again. And now I'm hoping that maybe I can pull it out and play with all four members of my family of all the age groups. It's, it's, it's a joy when you can find a game that works for, <laughs> for the whole, for the whole uh, crew. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting game that I, it's, <sighs> Don't know how well it's dated necessarily. There are uh, some some rules, as I said, that aren't particularly intuitive. There are probably other games these days that are, that fit that that are a little more streamlined and, and intuitive, like say Cascadia or, or things like that. But other tile laying games, it, it does have. I mean, it obviously has staying power. It's still here thirty years later, so there is an inherent charm to it. Just laying out the map and seeing it build over the course of a game that 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 is inherently very very satisfying so I, I yeah i still find myself reaching for that every now and then just to just to see that map grow over the table yeah there's just a joy in making something right and making a city you know it's sort of the same joy you get in putting a puzzle together except mm-hmm. actually now you have some strategic and creative choice and you know should i make a big city or should i make a tiny one and just get the quick points or should i drag it out and risk the potential of never being able to close this monstrosity right that's it's always <laughs> a fun challenge of a fun thing to ask yourself when you're playing that game absolutely well uh i have not been playing a lot of board games in terms of just between illnesses and, and vacation it's, it's been a, a rough few weeks but i did finally get to or get back to oathsworn uh can't remember the, the full title of that game in, into the, the deep wood i want to say this is a big legacy campaign game similar to a little, a little similar to something like gloomhaven tactical game with a bit of story in between big focus on more of a boss battler than say than say gloomhaven though so mix of gloomhaven and what is it King, kingdom death monster is the sort of other big boss battler so this was the second mission we played because I've, I've been painting the miniatures and it took me a while to, to paint the, the the boss for this one. They are very big bosses to my credit. <laughs> uh, so we dove into that. So there's you have the a sort of a, a story section where you're you're wandering around town. You have you have so many actions to to visit various locations and try and track down more information about what what are these you're going to be fighting and and get an advantage. And then you have the the actual fight itself, which can be those, those two sections of the game are, are largely sort of, they're, they're completely standalone. They're, they're, they're you can, you, you pack away half the components and set up a whole new, new set. So you can play those completely separately if you want, but it obviously works better if you, you can 
do both in one sitting, which is what we did. And yeah, I, I, I'm still really enjoying this game. It's very sort of grim, dark fantasy, but surprisingly well written. I mean, the standards of for board game writing are relatively really low, but I, I found myself sort of even laughing out loud a couple of times for what that's worth, uh, and and fairly. Yeah, some some interesting characters I found. Like some of the side characters are, are quite engaging, quite surprising in, in how differently things can go based on how you explore the town, and the 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 fight itself. It, it's it's I mean, as of two games, it's still finding ways to sort of mix things up in terms of what you're fighting and how. Like in terms of just fighting one big monster, what the system can do with that. So. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I, there's only so much I can say, obviously, because of spoilers, but we're still really enjoying Oathsworn uh, in terms of the, like, the... We have a little more uh, options now in how we customize our, our sort of tactical cards. So that's been really engaging, uh, mixing things up there. And uh, looking forward to continuing with that. Very cool. Okay, I'll just wrap up my tabletop section here by mentioning that I've been engaging in not so much a game, but of a bit of a, I, I don't know what you would call it, a hobby, a, a challenge, a men- <laughs> mental exercise, but I have been... Life. A way of life, yeah, an obsession, (laughs) maybe that's the more appropriate word, but I have been uh, really enjoying playing tabletop RPGs when I can, and I don't get to do it often enough because, as you know, Daniel, arranging a time (laughs) when all the players can meet is the the ultimate, the real challenge, (laughs) even online, is the real challenge of playing any role-playing game, is the actual getting to play it. So while I am unable to play, and while I was sick, I set myself a task. I said, you know, I would really love to revisit some of these older systems that I really wanted to play back in the day, or I did play back in the day, but I'd like to introduce to new players. So I've set myself to a personal challenge of rewriting some of these games so that they can run in a more modern system. So I love Shadowrun, the, you know, original cyberpunk meets fantasy role-playing setting, which they've made tons of video games now in, which is very cool to see. But still, there's nothing like really living in that world yourself with some pals. So I'm hoping that that system is just the worst. It always has been. (laughs) It makes no sense at all. It's a terrible dice rolling system. It's a terrible role-playing system altogether. And it's so convoluted because that game happens to have Gunfights, vehicle chases, drone operation, hacking into the Matrix, which is like a virtual reality cyberspace, and magic. (laughs) So basically each one of those components is its own separate game. So I'm hoping to essentially write this entirely, rewrite it entirely in Cypher, which is the my system of the moment, which I'm enjoying quite a bit very elegant is i would say medium level crunch system it's the system behind numenera oh uh, yeah. the strange <laughs> yeah torment tides of numenera the video game i've t- spoken about is based on that rule set really lovely system and uh, similarly why do one challenge when you can do two so i'm also hoping to <laughs> rewrite star wars the fantasy flight uh, games in Cypher as well. And that one has actually been quite a bit simpler of a process. Despite the fact that that system has those ridiculous dice, it was quite easy to actually rewrite and undo the tangled nest of 
positive values and negative values <laughs> and all of the 12 different dice types. Because, you know, those adventures are still out there, right? I have a few books myself that I can still play. And there's nothing bad about the lore or the stories set in that world. It's these obtuse dice systems, obtuse gameplay systems that I want to avoid. So, so do Shadowrun and Star Wars, do they ha- are they currently being supported? Are they, are they ongoing products? Shadowrun, or is this yeah. like old legacy stuff? Yeah, Shadowrun is in, is in sixth edition, 6E, which by all reports was has been incredibly unpopular <laughs> and the company behind it i think it's still catalyst at this point tops who owns catalyst i think they're really hurting i think on mm. sixth edition hasn't taken off like previous editions have maybe because there's more cultural awareness of like other cyberpunk systems like cyberpunk red and then there's kind of countless other uh, cyberpunk based games as well so why would they play an obs- obtuse system that had its heyday in the 90s i only love it <laughs> because of the that was that was my heyday i like the the fiction as well there's cyber there's shadow run novels there was a humble bundle recently because i which i bought because i'm a sucker uh it was, so, video, it was an old i mean it was a uh it was a first person video game like the early 2000s that I remember they couldn't give that game away. Yeah, it was on uh, 360 360 era, I believe. There were even two different Shadowrun games, one on the Sega Genesis or Mega Drive in some countries. And it was a separate entire game on the Super Nintendo as well at the same time. So Shadowrun has a storied video game history. Hmm. And so what is it about the Cypher system that, that works particularly well for these settings, do you think? Cypher is really elegant in the way that the dice resolution works. Basically, you know, a lot of systems are kind of riddled in these sort of modifiers, right? Modifier for this, modifier if you're behind a tree, modifier if the wind is blowing slightly, modifier <laughs> if your boots are wet. A lot of upkeep of for tracking what you do and don't have. Any right. And essentially, the modifier system just rolls it down into one thing. You know, there's you only roll only ever roll a d20, no matter what it is, and everything that aids you in doing the thing is called an asset, and anything that hinders you in in doing that is 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 called a hindrance. So basically, it has this sliding scale of difficulty, and the difficulty is is what moves up and down. So basically, everything flows. And another cool thing is that the GM never rolls dice. It's mm. always the players that roll dice. The player rolls dice if they want to, for instance, attack, or they roll dice when they want to defend. And the difficulty of the enemies follows this really logical system as well. And, you know, some people might say, well, that sounds like it's no fun for the GM. Well, what that lets the GM do is it lets them focus on the narrative. It lets them focus on interesting narrative twists and turns. And the GM can introduce these interesting twists and turns by essentially bribing their players with (laughs) experience points. So you can say, give your players experience points to introduce new twists and turns. And the players can turn down the experience and say, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want the complication. Or they could say, yeah, I'll take the complication. And then they give experience to the initial person who they ask the question and that person can choose to give 
well, has to give half of the experience that they earn for that twist or turn to another player who assisted them along the way. So it's it's a very cooperative, very fluid, and very dynamic in terms of upkeep, really light. So for that reason, I'm just loving it. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like it works pretty well for a particular type of, of GM, one that can perhaps improvise on the oh, fly sure. a little more. There's something that I mean, the whole GM experience just terrifies me. <laughs> but, I mean, you, you're much more familiar with that side of things. If it is any consolation, basically it keeps the mental upkeep level down because it, it, it basically cuts out the idiosyncrasies that plague a lot of older systems like Shadowrun, like D&D, a lot of these kind of conflicting systems or systems that use entirely different logic it mm. really just boils it down into a simple kind of unified rather than having to keep a lot of numbers and form. systems in your mind you can just focus on the story and the setting yeah exactly right yeah that's right. why i like it <laughs> awesome well speaking of, of ttrpgs we actually played one yeah yeah that's right we are looking into TPR, ttrpgs it's a major interest of mine right now and we wanted to play at least once and uh, the system that we decided to play in was uh, actually not Cypher. It's called the 2D20 system. And in particular, the setting we're using is Fallout from the Fallout video games. Yeah, so obviously a lot of, lot of, lot of crossover there. Into, like, in, terms, in terms of being an om- it's a good Omnigamer game, shall we say, in, in crossing uh, multiple platforms there. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Fallout 3 and 4 at the very least, as I assume you are. Yeah, I'm a big Fallout fan from, you know, even one and two, but especially the newer ones like three and New Vegas and Fallout. The computer games have a lot of love for the tabletop systems as well. So they did a really bang up job, I think, of translating that back the the modern video games back into a tabletop space. I, I really like that system as well, that the company Modifius has done some great work with some excellent licenses. They have great licenses like Conan the Barbarian, Dune, like the books and the movies, Star Trek, Star Trek Adventures is set in that world, set in that system. And they even have other video game licenses like Homeworld, believe it or not, the space-based <laughs> RTS, and Dishonored, the uh, another oh, Bethesda huh. game. The Dishonored games have a tabletop system in 2D20. So... They're doing great work, and it's also a very logical system that I like quite a bit. Yeah, I, I can't speak too much about the system yet, having only played one session. But I mean, a lot of that was just... I mean, I've not played a TTRPG in, in nearly 10 years, so a lot of it was just getting back into the groove and, and getting a feel for the group we had. So still some... Um, some training wheels on, I think, but um, still having fun so far. There were there were some interesting elements of I can't remember the name of the the points. There's like a, a shared pool of points that the yeah. players can spend That's right. collectively. Yeah, in Fallout, it's called action points, which is a callback to the old video game. But right. it's the yes. same mechanism. Um, it's called um, what is it? Momentum or something in the, the Star Trek Adventures. It's basically a currency that the players can earn if they if they roll more successes than they need and they can sort of bank it up, but they're, they're better off actually just spending it. And what that does is it lets the players have more direct control over the narrative. They can basically choose when to expend that extra, you know, oomph to get over 
what they believe is an important, you know, an important moment here or an important moment there. When it matters, they can pull it out and really... A bit more of a dramatic flourish, uh, but, but also just sort of pl- group dynamics you can really play with there too. Yeah, that's right. You have to talk amongst your companions and really negotiate. Is now the time to do it, or should we save it for later? So- or don't, or don't talk. Like if it's your turn, you get to decide to use it. You can explicitly not discuss it with your group and 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 make a big joke of being so make, make a big show of being selfish about it. Right, you <laughs> as, call as, the a character, as a character element, of course. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, RPGs, modern RPGs tend to use that uh, quite a bit. Some sort of system, uh, Savage Worlds has this concept called Benny's. Uh, Fate has these plot points. A lot of these older systems, <coughs> D&D, don't have a lot of narrative control. You either roll <laughs> it or you don't, or else the the DM, the GM, is sort of the the, the god of that universe. You, you mentioned Benny's, and that, that rings a bell, because I think a, fr- a friend was telling me how he basically house-ruled that into D&D. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, having some more narrative control. And I think there are some, like, destiny points. Like, there are some house rules that exist for D&D, but don't often get employed because basically you, you never play D&D that's written in the book. You play the D&D <laughs> that you remember growing up or you play yeah, this yeah. collection of a dozen Chasing house that rules that you dragon of nostalgia. <laughs> right. So the modern systems kind of let you wipe your palate clean and start from a little bit of a fresher. I kind of relate it to democracy, right? You have your early forms of democracy that are kind of old and and kind of crusty then you have your modern forms of democracy that are a little bit more fluid you know they they have nice little touches like rank choice voting and things like that that are just much more logical because you haven't just stuck to the old crusty old structure that was around from hundreds of years ago right you, you've actually just said let's let's start from scratch here we will learn from our elders and learn to do it in a better way well, whoever said there was no politics in Dungeons and Dragons? There you go. <laughs> well, uh, I think it's about time we get to our featured game. So let's yeah. uh, turn on the grab drives and take a quick break, and we'll be back with some Starfield. And we're back, coasting into planetary orbit. Uh, lock down the engines. Today we will be talking about Starfield, the brand new game from developer Bethesda Game Studio and publisher Bethesda Softworks. <laughs> Two very distinct uh, companies there, I, 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 I guess. <laughs> Bethesda all the way down, basically. That's right, Microsoft all the way down now. Well, yes, yeah. And which is to say this is a game is only available on Xbox and PC. Yes, that's right. So which which Sorry, did, Sony fans. <laughs> did cheese off some Sony fans a little while ago, but maybe maybe they're fine. Maybe they're fine with all the other <clears things that <clears> Yeah, we'll have. get to that. <laughs> right. So what what are we looking at here? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people have called this different things. They've called it Skyrim in space, Fallout 4 in space. Well, this follows along the time-honored tradition of Bethesda single-player action RPGs. Action, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say it's action. The shooting yeah, yeah. is real-time on There's space a lot of shooting. <laughs> and on the ground, but you also have a lot of that talking-to-talking-heads 
with three or four dialogue choices that will take you right back to, you know, Fallout 1 even, if you really think about it. But if you've played Oblivion or Morrowind or Skyrim or Fallout 4 before, I think you know roughly the structure of what you to expect here. Well, just quickly, what, what is your history with those games? Are you a Bethesda head? <laughs> I kind of am. I mean, Bethesda... The game, Bethesda games, I can't think of a single one I haven't played. I haven't played a lot of Fallout 76, but not, not a lot of people can say they have. I pretty much played through all the 3D Fallout games, and I played through all the 3D Elder Scrolls games, so right back to Morrowind. I know you like that title quite a bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. I even played a little bit of Elder Scrolls Online, not a huge fan, just a little bit too much of a free-to-play title, but I, I like them both. You know, a lot of people like one or the other, and at some point I might have said I liked Fallout better, but I I can appreciate the distinct flavors in both of their first-person RPG worlds, and there were only two for the longest time, you know, post-apocalyptic with Fallout and fantasy with Elder Scrolls. And now they have a, a third pillar, I guess. That's what this they were trying to do. Their, fir- their first new IP in, in 20 years or something? I, I guess since Fallout 3, basically. That, that isn't, wasn't even a, a, a new IP. <laughs> it was taken from the previous games. But yeah, I, yeah. so I uh, have been playing since Morrowind, which I still consider my, my favorite game of all time. So, so you know, high expectations to live up to there. Uh, a lot of that was probably subject to being having been a teenager with uh, little disposable income. So sunk a lot of hours into that game. But yeah, I've, I've played every game since and, and, and had a lot of enjoyment out of them, but, all, but still a little bit of diminishing returns in what those games choose to focus on. A little, partly just an element of accessibility. I'm not going to you know, deny people accessibility options, but more just the the sense of how they've gotten away from the more immersive elements of those games and sort of railroaded you into following waypoints and and made the worlds less interesting as a result. I think so. I mean, Fallout Four, I, I did enjoy. There there was there was some. it's it's a fun shooter there's some cool places to explore but the the story was very it's very binary i i I think i I feel and a lot of uh sort of ludo narrative dissonance for lack of a better term in terms of how your character is motivated but uh, yeah so it was very curious going into to to starfield if they would continue on that trajectory so yeah, where where do we want to start with this? <laughs> well, let's talk about Starfield first, and then maybe we can expound more on how it, you know, adds to the Bethesda formula. I think we could go on and on about the minutia about all the other games, right? But <laughs> oh I don't yeah, no, think I, I'm like calling anyone's... it there on the others for now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Starfield and what Starfield brings to the picture. So we've we've talked at length about. RPGs on this particular episode, maybe it's the RPG episode, but apparently Todd Howard has wanted to make a game like this for many, many years, and it's actually based on a tabletop RPG, a long-running tabletop RPG series called Traveler, and Traveler 
has been around for a long time, like 30, 30 years or something like that. I think it was maybe the first fantasy, um, sci-fi tabletop RPG. And if you look at the old books, they're pretty, pretty basic. They look like a, a com- like cu- computer user manual, with this, <laughs> like really bold red text that just says, has the word traveler and doesn't have very inspiring graphics on front. But it's, it's basically this, RPG system in a very kind of low fantasy space world, you know, um, kind of like, uh, I guess, like Wayland Yutani kind of mm. alien kind of like truckers and space sort of thing, but with like twists, right? You, you have things that almost extend to the like Dune kind of space mystics level as well. And you have these space empires uh, like that also. So it, it had a big breadth leave it to say so um so that's the legacy behind this game and another aspect of this game that i heard right from the beginning before i heard or saw anything else was the term nasa punk yeah (laughs) which was new to me like i didn't really know it and i i don't even know if i know it fully but it's this it's kind of this like over the top like love of and appreciation of this very like formalized rigid graphic design and kind of design language yeah that... i mean let's let's forget the, the 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 use of punk there which is is basically escaped or old logic <laughs> um in like nasa is not punk in any means so it may as well call it nasa core i guess yeah but... it, it's certainly not punk it's <laughs> it's punk in the same in the same sense that like solar punk is punk yeah, yeah. it's it's just to say that people are into this thing yeah so yeah it follows this sort of like highly designed highly like a lot of like engineered over engineered stuff things have you know rectangular edges right things have flat textures things have low color palettes graphic design is very very minimal and that aesthetic really just punches you in the face when you start loading up this game the graphic design of like the kind of starfield swooshes what are they like orange and yellow and blue or something like that yeah yeah it's a very distinctive like late 70s (laughs) no i guess maybe even late 60s early 70s retro sci-fi yeah yeah and and that that aesthetic sort of permeates a lot of stuff even though you go to fantastic places using fantastic technology the aesthetic is very kind of retro not quite Fallout retro fifties, but maybe Fallout Kennedy era NASA NASA retro, perhaps. Yeah, well, I mean, so yeah, sort of retro seventy NASA aesthetic, but little more than aesthetic, really. I mean, the sort of the spacesuits are very, very sort of chunky. They don't, they don't look like sort of future sci-fi things. These are all very. As you said, sort of low low science is that is that a term? But the, sort of alien in terms of of everything is very chunky and and you feel the the sort of weight it has basically in 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 projecting forth the technology and, and culture of this world. But again, it's, it's not really interested in, in that in any way beyond the aesthetic. I think you you either like it or you don't. But I did appreciate how they mostly stuck to their guns. And maybe that's a artifact of the fact that 
uh, there's a lot of reused assets, but I, I don't want to jump into that. Yeah, I mean, that would be yet. it. Would be a cool aesthetic in terms. Like, okay, you mentioned Alien. Alien Isolation was a game that that came to my mind a lot here. Uh, a game which similarly uses those aesthetics to great effect, but. In that game, you are interacting with a lot of the technology. You have all these gadgets in your hand that you're that you're interfacing with. Your little mini games. You, a lot. It feels all feels very tactile in how you're interacting with this tech. In Starfield, it all feels very facile. Like the te- it, it, it looks fancy from a distance, but the, the, the plastic it all has this sort of plasticky Fisher Price look to it. I think there's just not the same sort of degree of thoughtfulness has gone into how these, to how this technology is designed, other than aesthetic. There's yeah, no sort of usability has been has been considered. It's not a very lived-in world, is it? It no. feels like everything has been freshly pumped out of like a a 3D Pre- printer prefab. <laughs> yeah, just like the the moment before. The the there are a few exceptions. And maybe at this point is a good place to touch upon like the worlds that you visit. There's there's a few key worlds that you visit that add some variety. And these and when I say key worlds, I'm saying because they're actually designed. The vast majority of the planets and the places you visit on one thousand worlds game, you can visit, Mark. One thousand. Absolutely. Of and 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 all of them look the same. Except <laughs> four four of the thousand planets are are hand designed. And well, not uh, even that. So four of them have a city on them that is designed, and the rest of the world is is Procgen. <laughs> right, right. So at least uh, there is a city to explore. At least there's like a culture on that planet, and the culture is only as deep as say uh, an episode or a set of Star Trek 1960 1960s version. You know, Mark, there was a war. These you. two factions don't like each other. Like three hundred years of of history since the current time, and all there is is that there's a war. The 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 UC and the the Freestar they don't they don't like each other very much. There was a war. Did you know that, Mark? No. You know about this uh, war? I I might have heard that. Basically, <laughs> there's flavor A of space bros and flavor B of space bros. That is the and only it, item of history in 300 years. Is there's a war between two factions? There's a creepy cult out there. That's that's about it. And there's this space cult hero called Solomon Co, who is this kind of. He's kind of like this character from Borderlands Three, or this uh, what is that? The Disney movie Strange New Strange Worlds. Oh, it's an explorer, yeah, r- this, rugged, this, this mythical, rugged, uh, pulpy <laughs> action hero, freedom, legend, ex- ex- yeah, uh, that that this uh, <laughs> legendary explorer that that came out of there. And so there's this frontier planet where that uh, legendary explorer comes from. And one of your companions ends up being a descendant of that character. And, you know, they have mixed feelings about the legacy that that um, great hero of legend left behind. So I thought that was actually one of the nicer touches. That that whole faux Western frontier town and space thing, though, was a little cheesy. Uh, yeah, I, I left honest. that planet as soon as I could. That was, there wasn't much interesting there. You got your faux Western planet. You got your your classic cyberpunk planet and you've got your uh, sort of typical future sci-fi planet and that's about yeah. it <laughs> the, the utopian like utopian meme. world yeah <laughs> yeah i think those are the only like bespoke 
planets I can think of. I guess there's that one that has like the underground kind of mining facility. But, you know, I can't even remember the name. So that just tells you how <laughs> memorable these places are. Yeah. So, so you, you're right. You, you, you started to talk about depth of the factions in this, in this world. You, one of my favorite Bethesda games is, is not even a Bethesda Gameworks developed game. It's Fallout New Vegas, which was developed by, who was it? Black Eye? Uh, Obsidian. Obsidian, right. Yeah. Obsidian famed RPG developers who took a spinoff on the Fallout engine and they really twisted it and made it their own. And that game is known for its factions. My Lord, the <laughs> factions are so interesting and the dynamics are so twisted. You really don't know who the good guys are, not because they didn't write them, to, <laughs> write any depth into them, but because, because they were so twisted, diverse and contrasting to each other. And they all had interactions between each other. Right. Whereas in this, yeah, really, I have no idea what the difference between the Freestar Alliance and the other side are. The Freestar likes freedom, Mark. The Freestar are like the do rugged... Like, do you like freedom? <laughs> yeah, free, freedom's great. I love my freedom. Friend. Versus the, the UC of more sort of the more authoritarian uh, flavor, basically. <laughs> yeah, they're the hoorah kind of space marines. Uh, starship troopers, basically. <laughs> yeah. There are this there are these missions where you actually get into conflict between them, I guess. Like you could Well, first of all, first off, you can join them. You can join Oh yeah, they, they, they are both factions in the game, yeah. You can join the factions straight off, but they really don't give you good reasons to do that, do they? No, they give you very little idea of what they stand for and why why you in terms of trying to decide where you want your loyalty to lie, you have very little point of reference. Like even at the very start of the game, you're given these traits. You can start, um, you can choose a, a trait that has like, oh, your parents are still alive, or you have a, you own a house with a mortgage, or you you can be basically committed to one of these factions at the start of the game. But you have no idea what the what the UC is, what the the cult of what's the cult's name? The v, v, oh yeah. Um, the Vashon. See, see how see how memorable this is, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, so you, you, you have no reason to choose it if you don't know what, what what are these children of Adam of this world. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's it's all very kind of generic, and the the story is also equally generic. We haven't even touched upon, you know, what you're doing essentially, and I don't think it's a spoiler to say that you are you get headhunted by this faction of explorers, say, and they're supposed to be neutral because i suppose they want you to be able to chart your own course choose your own factions and and you're told very clearly to start that we we don't have laws we don't we, we don't care what your past is it's okay it's okay if you if you're a bad guy it's okay if you're evil it's fine like they're yeah, very but, they're very big on sort of placating you and making sure that whatever it is you want to do it's fine like they don't stand for anything <laughs> yeah well some of the individual uh, members of this organization do stand for something and they want to push you in this direction or push you in that direction the initial companion is quite annoying in that regard. <laughs> I wanted to get rid of them as fast as so possible. Let's be clear, sorry. So this, this is Constellation, the, the, the sort of central faction of the game, which, which is involved with the main quest, uh, the leader of which is Sarah Sarah Morgan? Sarah Morgan, that sounds yeah. right. Yeah, so, so that's the, the first companion. I guess, I guess you get the robot companion briefly, and then you have Sarah as your, as your first ma- uh, big companion. 
Yeah, the first character you meet is Barrett, and he he is actually interesting. But uh, you get separated from him to, for some for some time, and basically you you get thrust into literally thrust into the captain's chair. Not ten minutes out <laughs> in, a very, in a very contrived way. Am I in a, in a very very <laughs> contrived way? Like you haven't had that sort of whiplash to command since. Here, take my ship, please. Just take since, it. I, yeah. I, I beg you, please take my ship away from me. <laughs> exactly. Not since Star Trek two thousand nine, the film, uh, has uh, someone been promoted to captain. They're just desperate quickly. to get you in the action in this game with with very little pretense. Uh, yeah, and actually, I was kind of at odds, even despite the fact that this constellation organization purports to be so neutral their mission <laughs> and their aesthetic is very sort of tied into the the gentlemen's explorers society see i keep hearing that of the 19th century and 18th and 19th centuries and I, I find them more of a cult made me feel icky well, one of them is a cult member. Well, literally, yeah. No, <laughs> everyone keeps saying this Explorers League, and I mean, they are they are explorers, but all the language they use is just very cult-like. They all speak in very reverent, sort of vague phrase. Like they always, oh, the the purpose of discovery and the the, the calling of of of. of of exploration like there's no specifics like they just always have these vague sort of platitudes they speak in without ever just having having a stance having ever clear motives (laughs) yeah one of the characters has a pretty clear motive he's the space uh industrialist he's sort of like the the baron captain of industry and uh, he funds the operation. It's never really clear what he's getting out of it, though. It's just oh, oh, I'm going to he... give you all my money, and oh, for the for the for the excitement of, of exploration, the the to infinity and beyond, <laughs> you know. It's, well, it's... I I think he wants to generate profits out of the 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 discoveries that uh, you're supposedly making while you're exploring, right? I think that's what is said in this mission or that. But yeah, none of the characters I don't think are particularly that attractive. I mean, looks aside, none of them are particularly <laughs> attractive from a very philosophical philosophical perspective. Yeah, yeah. They're just sort of this mixed bag, and I think that's what they're intended to be. It's like, oh, they're well, all very one-note characters with very little flair. They're all very flat, I find. Yeah, and it's, it's all a part of this of this NASA punk that everything is very muted, both in in color palette, everything being very gray and brown, but also just in tone. Everything is very muted and just no no big brash characters like you'd expect in a like, like this isn't a space opera obviously it's not that game but for a game about space there's very it, it's it's very flat <laughs> yeah i would agree with that it's it's very it, it doesn't want to take risks and the most interesting character i thought from the beginning is this guy called Barrett? He's very you know this sort of maverick kind of i've heard Lando- people compare him to lando calrissian but yeah, again, he's got like, that. He only works in terms of being a reference to another character. <laughs> he's got that devil may care attitude and these like turns of phrase. And I thought he'd be a cool guy to travel the stars with. And eventually you do get to uh, recruit him to your crew and travel the stars with him. And even though he was a former captain, he, he follows your orders for some reason. <laughs> right back on his ship. He's don't care. Parrot does whatever he feels like. I <laughs> yeah. And I thought it would be interesting to travel with Barrett, and he's not. 
like he's way more interesting when he was telling you this information. Well, they all have the same you. two canned lines that they just repeat ad, ad infinitum. Like I had two characters on my ship. It was, I think it was Sarah and, and Andrea, Andreja. Every, every single time I jumped to a new system, they'd repeat the same dialogue again and again and again yeah. and again. And just, yeah. just suck sandpaper, like sanding down what little character they have. <laughs> yeah. Sarah and Sam did the same thing when I was, it took them on a, on a particular run. Okay. We talked about the characters. We talked about the fashion. We talked about the, about the worlds a little bit. Uh, let's talk about the, um, maybe the missions. Yeah, what are we actually doing here? <laughs> so, so the the constellation is essentially has you sort of doing this like is is hunting down these artifacts from various worlds. MacGuffins. That's that's the MacGuffins. That's the underlying mission behind what all this exploration that you're doing. And basically, the type of missions you're going to run into are like rescue people from this facility or. Uh, scan for this L- mineral or discover why this facility isn't responding to hails or just go get the artifacts several of the uh, which is are, 90% of it really is go get the artifacts <laughs> yeah but they only ever give you one at a time because they're wanting to kind of give you know give you the fishing line right they want to dish it out little by little and then the meanwhile you discover there are these spaces where you can discover these temples and these temples might give you these unique abilities, which is, I suppose, interesting. But if you're familiar with it's some of the other Guy games Raymond in the series, <laughs> it's basically Literally. the dragon. It's the dragon yeah. shouts. Yeah, and the second one I found by chance was Fusrodar, like blast of energy, knock people over, and it was the only useful one I ever found. <laughs> The, those missions to get the powers in particular. I wasn't really expecting this, by the way. I thought this game would explicitly not have anything like that, not have any fantasy elements to it. But it's you know it's that is the most direct nod to the the fantasy superhero kind of the force. Yeah, because there's you're seeing all these vague mystic. Every, every time you touch one of these artifacts, so you, you're given this sort of star child uh, rainbow vision. That that is implying some you know, some some knowledge of the universe, and then you see yeah. that same one every time you pick up an artifact. It's the two thousand one Space Odyssey yes. fast cuts <laughs> of knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And even the activity that you do before you get the powers is yeah. repetitive. It's the well, very same every single time. The first time you do it, so yeah, you you basically walking through these little star bursts in this temple, and that has the similar sort of. 2001 vibe of, of this sort of transcendent reverence of, of space. And there's something very much more be above existence. Like I, I, I don't know the exact term, but just, they're going for this very sort of high minded concept here and the music is swelling and you, you get a, get a power to, to, to shout at people. <laughs> and then you do that same thing. I think to get all to level up all of the powers, it's something like five hundred times. You do yeah. the same exact same thing every single time. And again, what what could have been a, a, a decently cool moment is just sanded down by this repetition, 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 yeah. just over it and is, over. It is it is cool the first time, but every single time, you part of you wants to die every time you have to do this. <laughs> and whatever comes the board to call it a puzzle. 
like I think Barrett called, oh, this is fantastic. This weird puzzle in, in the temple was like, just walk into the lights. Barrett. It, like, <laughs> it's literally the same activity. Ah, uh, yeah. Even the game. even the little the puzzles in the 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 Skyrim, uh, like matching the symbols in the Skyrim dragon temples, was more interesting than this. This this game suffers from a lot of what was annoying about uh, Fallout Four, is these um, radiant style quests, mm-hmm. these quests that were like, uh to get rid of the spacers, the raiders in this facility, and these space these facilities are literally cookie cutters of each other. <laughs> I found the same facility on two different worlds. And not only is the facility the same layout, but they have the same message pads with personal private diary notes from the, the same, same dead scientists. <laughs> the same, like, yeah, b- boring bureaucratic emails on the, on terminals. Yeah. I, the first two planets I went to, I just picked a, a point of interest in the distance and went to it exact same cryo cryo facility with that then i figured okay well obviously exploring isn't very useful so i'll i'll just go and do the main quest main quest sends me to get an artifact oh it's in this facility it's the same facility again a third time in a row but this one this time there's a little there's a little cave offshoot in one room with with the magic MacGuffin, but still the same dead scientists I like sci-fi. You might know this of me. I like that concept of going out and exploring. I like Star Trek. I like Stargate, uh, Star Wars. You know, this this idea should be exactly for me. But this level of repetition and this sort of uninspired world design kind of kills that adventurous spirit in me. This is to say, what does science fiction mean to you? What are you looking for in science in a sci-fi game? In a... Well, essentially, I want my mind to be blown. Right? Mm. Is I want to th- see, I want to see noble characters doing things that are take them to the extremes of the human condition. Like they're either they're either being heroes, big damn heroes, and saving people, or else they're exploring discoveries that they can't even begin to comprehend <laughs> and this bar- just barely scratch the surface of that yeah so i i i would i'm a you know hot take here starfield doesn't do science and it doesn't do fiction uh so what i'm looking for in, in sci-fi is i mean it's, it's, it's a few different levels obviously you've got your like the the spectacle of like alien worlds cool aliens new new places to visit like just we weird places weird people just as a design aesthetic that's that was pretty cool this like obviously this is going for the more muted nasa punk aesthetic so everything is going to largely look the same so you're missing that so then there's the sort of humanist elements of like this using science to explore what's possible like reflecting our own world back on us through taking things to the extreme basically like how can science what can science tell us about the the human condition and this game isn't interested in science at all it's like it's it's all very it's it treats science as a religion just this reverence of the 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 discovery will save us basically uh there's like very little world building goes into this the science of this world and the main story is is just all about just blind faith, basically. 
I feel like they just didn't build enough tent poles that would make this an interesting universe. You know, part of that is that, you know, at least to the part I played, and I played about, I don't know, maybe 30 hours at this point, you know, a decent amount. A lot of games would be done by this point. I played a decent amount, and I haven't run into real undisputed aliens. Mm. Where, whereas you look at a game series like, you know, Mass Effect, and the Mass Effect works because of the aliens, right? You, yeah. yeah. Right from the outset, you are part of a community, and and actually, you're the you're the babies of this galactic community. People look down on humans, and there <laughs> are these races that are interesting, and they're characterized in interesting ways, and they have different interesting philosophies and biologies and motivations and this game doesn't have any of that this game has just boring greedy shallow (laughs) humans doing the same sort of capitalist and turf conflicts that they've been doing on earth for for millennia well you you take mass effect or like any of these other big sci-fi games and they all have this this codex this encyclopedia of this is all the races this is the the culture this is the 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 technology and even if you're like me and just find that completely overwhelming and other than dipping into it like just knowing that is all there there's this rich world just at your fingertips if you if you wanted to dive into it and there is nothing here like i said there's there's two there's two factions or i guess there's like there's three factions with the with the cult and there's a a, a there's a fourth playable faction as a, a, a company, Merc- a Ryujin Mercantile, I think. You can play the sort of corporate es- espionage route. I, I didn't dig into that. But that's basically, those four factions is basically the entire game. Like, there's no history, there's no culture. Have you heard about Chunks? Chunks, anyone? Like, like there's cubed foods and that the game loves talking about chunks and that's about all the culture there is in the universe yeah there's little hints that are somewhat enticing but they're never they're little they're like strands you yeah know? oh yeah there, like, there well, are interesting stories out there but they're spread so thin between these proc gen wastelands <laughs> and what little original writing they did they did it in such a sparse manner that the world doesn't feel lived in or mm. even worthwhile exploring. Even then, and, most of the writing I found is just references to other things. Like it's all this sort of detached, ironic, oh, it's, it's a reference to Alien, you know, or it's like this, this, I found this one book that's like, oh, this editor's note, this is a very clearly a bad uh, corporate propaganda. And then then has like several paragraphs of, bad corporate propaganda but it's okay because we it's bad deliberately huh huh it's like just take yourself seriously and tell me an interesting story and the game isn't interested in that it's all gonna be this nudge nudge wink wink or like either that or these sort of super high-minded reverence star child things and nothing in between <laughs> yeah part of me really regrets the fact that it, they didn't just wholesale buy a license like they did with fallout with the existing world at least then there would have been a whole universe and decades of writing behind it they should have just bought traveler how expensive would that (laughs) have been i mean that's what they did that's what cd project red did with cyberpunk and witcher let's be honest they didn't Mm. invent those worlds they just realized those worlds with love and care and you know a lot of people give a lot of guff to cyberpunk 
2077, especially when it launched. Nowadays, people are all saying it was always wonderful and it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but now, but the best, most engaging parts of this game, Starfield, didn't live up to the most narratively or mechanically intense sections of Cyberpunk 2077. As in, what is it? The recovery mission out in the desert the stealing the asset from the from the corporate tower so many missions in cyberpunk 27 just feel like they were bespoke because they were they were written to be cinematic they were written to be mechanically interesting they were written to turn the camera lens directly on a vivid rich world and this game only Starfield only hinted at that, and what they pointed the camera lens to was a a galaxy as as deep as a puddle. <laughs> there there are a couple of like following the the, the main quests. There are a, f- a few moments where it has like these big set pieces with somewhat thrilling moments, but the backdrop is so dr- dr- drab. Like the world the world behind it isn't there to make to you know give it the gravitas. The and the scripting is so tight that it's just go off track for one moment and it all falls apart, basically. Right. Um, yeah. Exactly. Like basically, No Man's Sky did ex- like ground based exploration better. You know, Mass Effect did ground combat better. Free Space did space combat better. So, what is this game really doing for us? So, yeah, not to be trite. To, to to make make a reference of my own, the the old Jurassic Park, they didn't stop to think about why they should do this just because they could. Uh, I, I butchered that quote. <laughs> I don't remember the exact syntax. But like, why is there a thousand planets? What is the appeal of that? If you if you specifically going for this muted NASA punk aesthetic, you're not making use of alien like actual aliens or just alien concepts alien worlds if you're not interested in that why a thousand planets right yeah unfortunately i think this was just todd howard's pet project and they threw him a bone and said yeah here's your budget do whatever you want to do todd want to keep you happy because you're the the (laughs) the money printing machine right so go ahead and do what you want todd and you know maybe this game will turn itself around you know maybe in a couple of years there'll be some amazing you know, DLC that adds like three or new fashions. <laughs> More likely. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe they'll turn it around. I don't know. I, yeah, there's, I, I could nitpick a lot on this game that I just, there's probably no point really. There's, there's a lot of things I could nitpick that they could fix, but I think it's issues are so fu- baked in fundamentally that there's not much to save here. I, like there is, this isn't entirely bad. Like there, there are good moments. Let's just take a moment to, to like, is there anything you enjoyed in this game? What does it do well? I haven't dug into it very deeply, but <laughs> I I am looking forward to doing some spaceship design. That's I mean, that's the big one I hear. Like yeah. all the all the, the Reddit threads are all like everyone who's loving the game, that's the first thing that comes that comes up, which has no interest to me whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, the, the most I've done is I saved up a bunch of money and I, I got myself a new ship, but not after not until after I realized that I had to upgrade my piloting skill like three yep. times. Yep. And do you know what it takes to upgrade yourself into a, a high-level pilot? You have to kill other people's ships. 
<laughs> so forget it if you're trying to be a pacifist. You can't right. be a good space captain yeah. unless you, you're good at killing other people's ships. Which makes no sense to me whatsoever. It railroads you into that playstyle in so many ways. <laughs> yeah. So nonetheless, I had to, I don't know, I had to kill like 30 ships before I could upgrade to the level where I could purchase a decently sizable ship. To to be able to disable ships and take them out passively. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this game will, you know, force your hand into doing things. But I don't want to delve into the negative. I haven't delved into the resource kind of what is it base building the outposts yeah uh, yeah from what i've seen what little i've seen it's a very much following the fallout 4 model mm-hmm. uh, fallout 76 i think they did in a in a more kind of interesting you know intense manner because it's pvp that one but uh i think this game has hold some prospects because like there's there's some like resource extraction component to it, so you can yeah. extract resources on one planet and have it automatically shipped to you another. You can have planet. entire networks of yeah shipping resources between your planets and creating this network, which is a lot of work for one thing. And I, I, I messed with it a little bit. I built, I tried building an outpost, and it works really well. Like just the snapping pieces together, it, it's all very easy and straightforward and dynamic in how the pieces all fit together, and that that was that was quite fun. Except that it's all to no end. Like, there's no purpose to it. Like, you can build an outpost to extract resources, and they don't really have a use. Like, you could sell them. Well, you can use it to to get fuel, but that's you, not really a thing. You can fulfill these contracts. Like, there are specific contracts. Yeah, well, just to... radiant quests to just make number go up, basically. Yeah, it's, it's supply this distant planet with this much of this mineral. Right? It has Which to be is... of interest to you for its own sake. It's, it doesn't really tie into any other mechanics or, like yeah i i found it pretty purposeless um if you could find like a cool location and build an outpost and have all your all your friends there perhaps but as it stands it, it was a it's a cool system that just doesn't have like it, it's a it's an answer to a question that isn't there basically there's, there's yeah. not really any purpose to doing it yeah a rare type of person will really get a lot of enjoyment out of that and people have mm-hmm. done that people have designed their own famous ships from star wars and star trek and someone has reported the school bus <laughs> someone has reportedly built their own like functioning city like a, well, an entire city uh-huh. out of out of outpost components so you know if that you know uh, if that turns your gears then, then great on you but um most people will turn to other you know city building games or other craft building things that focused on those elements and we'll do it a lot better yeah for sure uh, i mean i i will say like i mean the game looks pretty pretty other than other than the aesthetic i think like the engine itself works pretty well like the lighting model uh is, is quite striking like going through a space station and the the way the light filters through through different materials uh, yeah. that that works really well it, 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 it's it's a nice game uh and- largely you're looking at barren wastelands though and it's all wasted Right. And a lot of people really give a lot of flack to the game for its sort of dead-eyed character designs, yeah, character it models. Yeah, doesn't bother me too much. It doesn't bother me too much either. I think it's people are really complaining too much about that. And I think their lip-syncing engine or something like that is considerably improved over what's happened before. Like I I I think it's the most realistic yeah. lip-syncing and basically what would that be? Character performance, dynamic character performance. They've gotten out of uh, 
virtual actors yet uh, as as far as Bethesda is concerned it's it's not industry leading but it's it's serviceable if, if Skyrim mm. had that it would just be a, a whole different ball game <laughs> yeah they don't entirely feel like plasticine models like like Skyrim did but uh one thing i didn't quite like is i don't remember if Fallout 4 did this but in these conversations it it, it seems like quite regularly your companions will sort of chip in and have like have something to say about it or you can even like there'll be some conversation choices that are actually having your companions speak on your behalf yeah fallout 4 did have the um, little quips where the side characters did inject some stuff but uh, you're right i don't think they had the actual uh, dialogue choices where you could have them speak for you it comes up very infrequently and when even when they do it it, again it feels like very just canned lines basically it feels like it's not not really referring to the specific event it feels like the sort of thing that it could say in response to a hundred different things (laughs) um and perhaps they do (laughs) yeah exactly it it comes it doesn't come up very often i think that was a wasted opportunity that they could really have lent into that uh and there was some early conversations that had like multiple npcs talking like an actual like three four-way conversation in which multiple characters are speaking that 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 was an interesting idea, but it, it just was a very static shot, reverse shot. Like it was a very boring presentation of that, and it very rarely comes up again later in the game. I was reminded of one thing I really like in this game. Oh, we found something cool. Yeah, <laughs> and it is the lock picking mini game. It's okay. <laughs> I really like it. I especially the higher difficulty versions. There's something about that particular puzzle, and it's literally a puzzle. They give you all the time in the world to complete it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not dexterity-based. It's entirely logic-based, and I really enjoy it. I it's get a, it's a, a cool odd puzzle. satisfaction out of it. It just, it just takes a little bit too long. Like It just breaks the pacing a little bit too much for like what you're tr- doing in the moment. And... The part, like what what your lockpick... You, you, so you, you find a master-level lockpick, you, you spend five minutes like working at a puzzle and then there's just you find some chunks <laughs> or like a, a blue level gun like, everything is everything is is proc gens and so like in morrowind for example most even in, in like fallout 4 you'd find a master level door you know there's something interesting behind it but here because everything is is procedurally generated you, most of the time you're just going to find trash there's no incentive to actually unlock those doors yeah, I don't need the incentive. I just like the mini game Fair itself. Enough. Yeah, <laughs> just 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 break that out and make it a make it its own game. <laughs> yeah, you know they should really call this series of Bethesda games like kleptomaniac simulators because <laughs> it's just about stealing stuff. Uh, I mean, going back to the ships, I, I do think the the ships again are, are one of the stronger elements. So people were about loving the ship design, but even just be being on your ship, seeing you can have a crew and see you see people w- walking around your ship, which is, is is just inherently satisfying. Like they all have little things they're doing. They're like walking around, interfacing with the various consoles, or they're sitting at the table. I I, I found all the playing cards I could find in the game and slapped them down on the on the table. And like, there are there are even even in this game, all the board games you find are space themed, which seems a little, a little silly but yeah seeing people walking around your ship is, is just inherently f- fun but the game doesn't really 
encourage you to, to be on your ship. Like there's very little point to being on there because you've just fast travel around wherever you go, unless you force yourself to, to do that. And then again, it's just for its own sake. There's not really the an immersive element to, to really force you to engage with being on your ship in a meaningful way. Yeah. Hopefully there's like a ship in the bottle or episode in a bottle episode of this game, a mission <laughs> where you have to do a mission entirely within the ship. Some sort of find the thing within this, you know, cabinet or <laughs> unlock this thing or characters hiding in this and that. You know, they did that effect so effectively with Star Trek and even Star Wars, you know, and um, like The Force Awakens or whatever. All those scenes with within the old Millennium Falcon in, in this compartment or that compartment. You know, they're nice. You know, they're nice touches like it because in those series the ship itself becomes a character of the story, right? Yeah. Very like n- not a direct spoiler here, but there is a new game plus in this game, which is the first in a, in a Bethesda game. And every, I've seen a lot of people say it's a revolutionary concept and it is a, an interesting concept in practicality. Again, it removes all incentive to actually invest in a world and customize it in any meaningful way. Yeah, I think customization is is not for everyone. I think some people will just or just go along for the amusement park ride, right? They just want to see the mainline content and blast through it. And and then some people also do the exact opposite. Some people want a world they can o- occupy and settle roots in. And I think this game will allow you to do that. Uh, maybe if not in the ship, then in the settlements. I'm sure there's ways that it'll try and save uh, things to memory as much as possible. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, it's, it's easy to say that mods will save this game. Um, the, the mods will definitely make it more interesting. But I, again, I think the the issues are so fundamentally baked in, in, specifically in the way so much of it is procedurally generated. Like even like it's interesting. Like had they made the actual facilities procedurally generated. That may have even been more interesting. So at least every time you go into a, a cryo facility, there was a different layout rather than the same dead scientists. Like that would at least have kept my interest a little bit longer rather than here's 10 you know, cookie cutter facilities. You'll see the same ones every planet you go to. It's just mind baffling why they thought that was like interesting at all. <laughs> right. I know. Yeah, I, I don't want to spend the whole time just, just, just criticizing this game, but I, it's just for such a big AAA game. It, I was I was prepared to be disappointed by this game, and it managed to do so in in some revolutionary ways. Yeah, I was hoping for more in this game. Although this game, the biggest disappointment for me was that it doesn't push the Bethesda formula forward any by any great degree. Each new series, each new game, really can bring the 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 model forward, and you know there's some big uh, leaps and bounds that some of these versions have taken. You know, Skyrim is actually you know very different than Fallout Three before it, and and certainly than uh, Oblivion was before it, and Oblivion was uh, a lot further ahead than uh, Morrowind was, technically speaking. You know, you can say what you will about the writing quality or the. Technically speaking, you know, Skyrim is very, very streamlined 
um, and mm-hmm. elegant in terms of UI, especially with a dual casting and dual wielding and things like that. Not everyone loves it, but the UI went to an interesting place. And, and I think this this game doesn't bring it forward. It's just kind of stuck in the mud. So that that was probably the most disappointing thing for me. In fact, I'm not that disappointed about the world design. I am disappointed, but I wasn't expecting it to be earth shattering. Hmm. I think it's serviceable and I'm actually going to stick with it. I'm going to stick <laughs> with the main mission. I'm going to swallow my pride every time I have to do that powers uh, <laughs> mini mini game, but I will just stick to the mainline missions and I'll see it to the end, which is something I rarely do with all of the Bethesda games. Um, I haven't yeah. beaten Skyrim. This is instance. the first one I've beaten since Morrow. Oh, no, I beat Fallout 4. That's, that's, that's incorrect. But I, I have not beat Oblivion or Skyrim. But, but because the worlds in those games are so interesting to explore, those, those games, like, it's flawed, certainly. But Skyrim and Oblivion and all those games are fascinating games to get lost in. Right. Yeah. You'd, you'd never want to get lost in, in Starfield, just walking across a barren moon. Oh, it's another cry facility. Yeah. Um, Stay on it, the rails with this game for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and even then, it's, it gets incredibly repetitive. I, I, I'm very curious to, to talk to you again off the record once you finish the main quest. Sure. Um, did you do any of the other, um, factions? I didn't commit because none of them, really none of them gave me a sales pitch that interested me (laughs) one iota. Yeah. Uh, they just seemed like pretty uninteresting, uninteresting things. I'm kind of just playing my own thing. I'm just kind of being this space scoundrel that plays by his own rules. Like I typically do with these sorts of games is. You know, I skirt the the law wherever I can, and I steal what I have to, and uh, and I help the people that I feel like I should help. Interesting, yeah. I, that's another thing in this game. Like, I it always makes me feel like a jerk for wanting to be paid for my time. Everyone in this universe wants you to help you wants you to help them do their job. And if you dare to say, "Are, are you going to pay me for this?" It's like, how, how dare you imply it? Like. You know, it, it just feels like it, it, it's just reprimanding you for 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 wanting to value your own time, both both in universe and out and and as a player. It, it made sense in in Skyrim as a just a, an adventurer going around saving people, but if this guy wants me to help him do his job of of like making a delivery or planting science sensors around, like. Pay me for my time. Come on. Right. I'm literally <laughs> delivering an object between stars. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and you won't give me some some gas money. Yeah. yeah. I never ask for the money because I know I'm going to get rewarded. Well, exactly. Guys. Yeah. But it is a video just, game. The tone is just feels completely off in this. Yeah, oh well. But sure. not to not to belie the point. I, I, I think this fails pretty fundamentally. If Bethesda games are a, a sandpit to play in, this is a sandpit that's like a mile wide. And they hid some toys in there, but they didn't tell you where they are. Just go, go sift through this this square mile of sand, and and good luck finding a toy. Yeah, and some cats might have peed in some corners of the sand <laughs> too. So, so just be careful. Definitely sandworms. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, for me, my opinion is slightly warmer than that. I think this is just okay, just okay, and a just okay game is fairly disappointing in this state of, uh, especially from of the Bethesda. world right yeah. yeah 
So there we have it. There's Starfield. I think we've talked at length. Shall we uh, talk about the next game we're going to be covering? Yeah, yeah. From <laughs> we're going to scale things down ever so slightly, uh, and 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 this was this was a very sort of big and all encompassing. A lot of a lot of things to cover here. I could have talked for another two hours about what I don't like about this game, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're gonna we're gonna take it back to a board game, be a little more focused. Mark, what what board game are we going to cover? Right. Well, we got to make sure all the pieces fit, and to that end, we are going to be talking about Fit to Print, the uh, brand new game from Flatout. I was yes. going to say Fallout, but it's definitely not. Fallout. <laughs> You've been Bethesda peeled. Uh, Put those Bethesda letters brain. in a in a yeah. different order. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, Fit to Print from Flatout Games. It's just uh, it's their latest release. In very excited to try that out. Very cute uh, illustrations from Eno Tool. We sort of. 1920s, I want to say, sort of uh, newspaper journalists, but animal people. Very cool aesthetic, re- real-time tile-laying game uh, designed by Peter McPherson. So, very curious to to dive into that. Yeah, get your Zootopia journalism on. <laughs> and if you've got any questions or comments on Starfield, like if, if you if you please tell us what you're enjoying about this game, what what factions you enjoyed, to, to, to balance this out a bit, or if you have any comments on fit to prints or just in general, uh, you can contact us at omnigamersclub at gmail.com. That's right. And uh, check out our website online at omnigamers.club. So until next episode. What, what, what's the thing that we say? Have a balanced diet of games. Of non-cube-shaped food, if you can. <laughs> I'll take one teriyaki chunks, please. One chunks Sauvignon for me, please. <laughs> Ta-ta!